right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 30 of the Seat Struck Movie Podcast. Uh, my name is John. Joining me as always, got my co-host, Quinn. Hey, guys. Happy to be back. And joining us today, our special guest. You might know him if you're a loyal listener of my uh, my other podcast, Domestic Pints Only. You might recognize him as Stout Steve. I've called him the, the fifth beetle of the program or the fourth beetle, nice. I guess, because we're a threesome. So say hello to Steve. Welcome to the program. Welcome. John. Hey, thanks, John. It's going to be fun to do this. Completely yeah, different it, than having a drink in front of me here this morning. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, on that note, maybe I'll, I'll go grab a I'll grab a drink uh, midway through or something. But you know, I'm feeling in a silly, goofy mood. But uh, happy to be here. Um, it's a nice, bright day here in Ottawa today. And today, of course, our topic uh, du jour is the 1999, aka quote unquote, the best movie year ever. Uh, the sci-fi sort of cyberpunk, heady, kung fu inspired. Uh, the Matrix, uh, released by the Wachowskis. So um, this one, I know we were excited to talk about. Um, this actually kind of came up when I think we were doing a DPO. This would have been probably like a month or two ago. And we were actually, it was probably a while before that because we were talking about the um, the new Matrix that had just come out, the uh, Matrix uh, um, uh, Resurrections. And, and we got to talking about movies in the program. And Steve, you had talked about, you know, the Matrix as being uh, one of your favorite movies. So that was sort of the impetus to yeah. talk about it today and so i guess before we kind of get into the little bit of the background of the movie i just wanted to kind of you know kind of get your thoughts just generally like why why is the matrix like one of your favorite movies so what is it about it that you enjoy so much well for me it's uh there, there's so much about this movie like what in my mind what makes for a great movie is if it is first of all if it has rewatchability and this one has it in spades like oh yeah when you have a movie that you start smiling before the line is delivered because the line is just so well delivered and you can watch it over and over and over and still pick up new, new nuances. That mm -hmm. is just such a great movie. The soundtrack is phenomenal. The, the allegory, the, the reluctant hero theme, uh, sci-fi aspect of it. It's there, there's something about this movie that was so iconic and so different in its time that it just immediately captured you and drew you in. And it's just something I go back to over and over and over is one of those uh i need something um makes you feel like you're sitting at home have a bowl of popcorn and, and just relax and watch the movie and sort of you can sort of pay attention but sort of not and still enjoy it mm -hmm. yeah and it's cool to talk about it today because i guess you know me and steve we watched all the all the other ones quinn is actually yeah i believe as we were talking about before the show um you haven't seen the all the sequels before so this is gonna be cool because like you had just watched this last year and kind of got back into it so you haven't gotten deep into the whole world of zion and all the other goofiness that comes up in the sequels like for today's purposes we're gonna focus on matrix one but i mean uh, so much about talking about the matrix is talking about kind of the series as a whole so maybe we'll talk briefly like i don't want to spoil too much you know i want to keep quinn you know bright you know fresh face when he enters the matrix and uh, uh, reloaded and uh, re revolutions eventually. But uh, yeah, and I, I, I got to say, like, for me, I think we were talking about this. I don't know if it was on uh, last episode or just offhand, but like, I, I know growing up, like to me, like 98 around that time was the period of time when I really started to kind of become cognizant of like, uh, movies as like an actual kind of release cycle like as a kid you're just like oh disney you go see like whatever animated movie you don't really have any concept of it especially as a child in the 90s where you had all sorts of tapes and and stuff like that like i had no idea that pinocchio was like 60 years old or whatever it was just like a movie to me uh but like when the matrix came out in 1999 like that was a movie i remember like being cognizant of and 
I, I could almost put this movie like on my personal canon list because this movie was such like a, a huge hit. And I was like a totally obsessed with this movie and the sequels, which both the two, I, I had forgotten both sequels came out the same year in 2003. For some reason, I thought one of them that's, came out yeah, like that's right. two years yeah. later, but no, they were both almost back to back. Like I think one came out in the early summer, one came out in the fall, like a pretty tight release. So, and they both did quite well financially, but I mean, it's funny because sometimes like talking with younger moviegoers online, they especially like a lot of the younger generation you know the, the matrix for them it wasn't even like a really a thing like they're probably came of age after the lord of the rings trilogy so they kind of missed out on on this movie and perhaps even the sequels but for its time like this movie uh like completely revolutionary in terms of special effects and and just so many of, of the moments i mean the bolt the famous bullet time sequences where they they slow down the the motion and they have the camera going the same speed and they put on all the rotoscoping and all like the bullet special effects like that that was such an iconic like action scene and like i, I could think of so many you know movies and video games that came out in the, in the recent years kind of after that where it was everywhere like you couldn't see anything even like the parodies like the simpsons or anything would have some sort of matrix uh moment and like this movie was such a huge part of kind of the cultural lexicon and it's been kind of cool because i feel like uh, we, we we're going to touch on this like this the, the kind of the spirit and the philosophy of this movie has allowed it to age really well like i think a lot of younger audiences have come back to these movies um you know as it's been now almost 20 years since this movie came out and especially on the anniversary of of 1999 a lot of people were kind of you know getting this year hyped up as like you know the best movie year ever and going through like this and fight club and other great 1999 movies uh it, it still hits really well and it still had, talks about a lot of stuff that's still it's still impactful and meaningful today and uh and yeah so the matrix of course just to kind of give a little bit of background like this actually kind of started uh, around 1994 the wachowskis had uh, sold a script to uh, Richard Donner, which became the Stallone-led action flick Assassins. Be part of that selling that script was they were able to sell two other scripts, Bound and The Matrix. I've never seen Bound, but Bound was sort of their first, I believe, directorial effort. And it was a very popular critical hit. It gave them enough money and prestige to actually get on to directing The Matrix. And I, I, mean, I mean, now we look at The Matrix as sort of like a a big franchise film thing but at the time it was an original ip and i think like you know to to like sign on for a movie like that considering how heady it is and stuff like that is is kind of a risk and i mean this movie you know draws so much from you know a lot of a lot of different sources like philosophy draws heavily from you know baudrillard's like simulacra and simulation and obviously hong kong action cinema we just talked hard-boiled recently the john woo classic uh the gung fu movie and you see a lot of like hong kong action cinema influence in this movie it's got the full wire foo thing going on especially when uh what is it when uh when neo and morpheus are fighting in the big like dojo and and he's like running up the wall and like doing a backflip in the air um it's been a while i remember watching like some of the behind the scenes stuff like years ago on the dvd but like i imagine like there must have been so much like guys on strings being like flipped around and and rolled around um i, I mean i probably would have gotten motion sickness if i had to do that myself but uh yeah it, it's cool to see a lot of that you know practical effects work i mean these movies have great special effects and cgi i would say more so the sequels would kind of lay it on i've forgotten how much of this movie really is a lot of just genuine kind of camera work and kind of traditional special effects like there is like animation stuff certainly but like especially with the robots and stuff like that but it is so practical and i think that's one of the reasons it works well and also it's got uh, uh god king himself yun wu ping who's a famous 
uh, Chinese Hong Kong action choreographer who did like a lot of great 70s and 80s uh, cinema, like Drunken Master. And and he's in this movie, he's in this movie and all the sequels as well, too, except the most recent one. And that was sort of a point of contention. I think a lot of people had with the with the more recent one is that the action kind of felt a little flatter. It felt a little bit, you know, not as like over the top uh, as it is in this film. And I, I think that was something that was a little bit missed. Um I guess another question, like, uh, what, what was the, the Matrix like? What, do you remember when it came out? Like, do you recall? I, I mean, I know, Quinn, like, that wasn't a movie you'd watched, but do you guys recall what it was like when that movie came out? And sort of, do you do you have any kind of feelings on its influence on stuff at the time that came out? Yeah, like, it's funny because um, in the 90s, like, when I was a super young kid, like, as far back as I can remember, um, I'd rent movies all the time, every week. Like, I remember renting The Mask repeatedly. <laughs> um and you know a few other films like that and kind of like uh the same as john was saying um probably around 98 is when i started to get um i'd sort of broaden my um vision for what a good movie was and there were some genres that i weren't like i wasn't particularly interested at the time and like unfortunately sci-fi was one of them which is funny because now it's like one of my favorite genres and Mm. like um yeah some of my favorite movies of all time like Blade Runner for example is a sci-fi film and obviously I'm a big Star Wars guy Star Wars guy and it's it's weird because I I remember when The Matrix came out because you know of obviously like the commercials on TV and going to Blockbuster and seeing like um you know there would be like walls of shelves with The Matrix and like the cardboard cutouts that you would see and Mm -hmm. I knew even back then that it was like such a huge blockbuster movie and like it was a big deal and then sort of like after the dust settled like a few months like later like that's when you would sort of hear like around you know kids at school and stuff being like oh man that's like the best movie of all time like best movie ever best movie ever best movie ever and like it's one of those ones that for whatever reason like it's like slipped through the cracks you know like i've i've still never seen avatar believe it or not but like it just it slipped through the cracks. There was really no reason for me not to see it. It's weird. Like I haven't always been the biggest Keanu Reeves fan, mm-hmm. like from his acting. Like I like Bill and Ted, even though it's like, it's brutal, but like, there's a lot of things that he did that I wasn't particularly interested in. And the matrix was sort of one of them as, you know, the early two thousands when you would still hear it more and hear about it more. It was just one of those things that I just didn't really I didn't really fall into this mm-hmm. sort of hype about it. But then as the years pass, you know, like I said, I watched the movie for the first time, like probably about a year and a half ago. And I was like, Hey, that's it. I have to see this. This is like <laughs> the movie. I think I saw a video of like Tarantino talking about like, yeah, how he was obsessed by it and everything. And I'm it was like, one of his top movies of like 92 to 2009 or something like that. It was like in his top. Yeah. That was, I think year. that was the video that I, I watched and he was mm-hmm. like, talking about how amazing it was. And then I just sort of like thought to myself one day, I'm like, okay, now that I've sort of graduated, you know, like now that I like sci-fi, I'm a huge (laughs) fan of Kung Fu movies. And it's like, you know, now I like Keanu Reeves. I'm a big Lawrence Fishburne fan. Oh yeah. I'm like, I'm like, why? I'm like, there's no reason for me to not have seen this movie. So I finally watched it. Me and my wife watched it. And like, honestly, like, it's brilliant. Like it's brilliant, but that's for sure. One of the biggest blockbuster releases of, uh, 
of our life anyway. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. And I just remember maybe it was just me trying to be like cool against like the phenomenon, but like, it just didn't, it didn't catch me. It didn't catch me. But now it's like, oh my God, it's just phenomenal. And like you said, like the influence that has came after it has just been so, uh, so monumental. And like, because it was, because it was such a unique thing at the time, anything that comes after that, it's like, it's undisputable. It's like, it's so clear that it's such, it had such an impact and such an influence. And like, I was talking to my friend about this recently. It's my friend's like favorite movie ever. And he's like, it changed cinema to like, yeah, it really did. It changed cinema and he's right. You know? Yeah. A lot of action choreography from films to follow. Like, I think like you saw that with a lot of the, uh, like movies like Daredevil and X-Men and Charlie's Angels, a lot of these movies, a lot yeah. of the Wu inspired stuff. Like Wu at the time was, you know, a, a director in Hollywood. So there's a lot of action stuff coming around out around the time that was, you know, very influenced by some of the wire foo stuff and, and gung fu stuff we see in this. And, and I think you could draw a line from that all the way through to today. I mean, certainly the John Wick series. I honestly, like, I'm not the biggest fan of Keanu in this movie. I think he's actually kind of flat, but I think like, and that's sort of actually one of the things that I think revisionist history has, has sort of slipped is that when this movie came out, um, the sequels, I think a lot of people now do like the sequels, but the, there are there are people who aren't as into them. And a lot of people after the ser- series came out were kind of a little bit against Keanu. They thought he was kind of flat and thin. And for a while, like Keanu Reeves, like critical per- you know perception of him was a little bit flat, a little bit low. And then, you know, years later, we get the John Wick series, which kind of really revitalized him as, as a figure and also the memes about him, like the sad Keanu eating the sandwich or whatever, all the rumors of him being this like quiet, good guy. And, and I think that's also helped him a little bit too. He's kind of become like the internet's favorite, like a uh, action star. And, and, you know, and now he's back again with the newest one. And I, you know, who knows if there'll be one after that, but it's fun to see that come up, but I think you could draw like a pair, a line straight from this to, all the Marvel MCU stuff, a lot of the action choreography and that is stuff that is not unlike stuff you would see in, in the matrix. Yeah. And, and Steve, I wanted to ask you about it too. Cause I know we were talking a little bit in context of like the sequels, but I believe you actually spent some time in Australia where they filmed. Uh, this yeah. Series. I mean, you, you guys have covered a whole lot of ground here to, to unpack. I was, I've been going, Oh man, I want to comment on this and this and this. So, I mean, you, you originally asked John, uh, where were you? What was it like when it came out? So for me, I was in university. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd always been uh, a sci-fi fan, Star Trek, Star Wars, whatever. But I remember this movie kind of coming within a year or two of Starship Troopers. And, oh, yeah. And then, you know, sci-fi up until that point was almost getting to the point of cliche. You're on some big spaceship. You're going to explore some new planet. It's a big uh, symphonic orchestral uh, soundtrack. It's all very grand, uh, but gotten kind of a little bit boring. And then you get The Matrix that sort of reinvented sci-fi again and made black and dark heroes cool again Mm -hmm. uh you know a little bit uh macabre in their in their their stance on life the dystopian a different take on the dystopian uh universe not necessarily being being earth kind of giving your your head a shake the cyberpunk type musical uh, soundtrack rather than the ground uh, the grand uh orchestral symphony doing big the big music right just a completely mm-hmm. different take. Um, but what I did like about the similarity to Star Wars, and, and a friend of mine pointed this out to me a number of years ago, and it's something I've started to look out for. I tend to enjoy movies where they start without a whole lot of exposition. Yeah. They throw you immediately into the action. So the very first Star Wars movie, if you think, you're like, 
you're, you're on the ship, there's blasters going, there's these robots, there's Princess Leia, things are happening, ship is captured, there's not a whole lot of story, there's hardly even any dialogue. You're just <laughs> yeah. right in the action, and your imagination is left to try and fill in the gaps, and it's completely capable of yeah. doing that. Is How did these people get here? What's going on? It's storytelling through world building, yeah. Yeah, completely, and, and the Matrix was completely simulation, similar. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the Matrix simulation. was totally similar. Neo's not the first character you see. It's it's uh, it's Trinity, and she's mm-hmm. sitting behind the computer, and the cops are on the ground, and Hugo Weaving comes out and kind of gives these these really uh, sinister lines. You know, I'm sending two men in to get her. Oh, no, a scene, a scene that was parodied dead. in the new Space Jam movie with the granny, I believe. I remember seeing that. Oh, that's my mind, right. My mind almost melted when I saw that. I'm like, what am I watching? What has happened yeah. to cinema? Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah what a, that's a good point, Steve. Like, what a great opener to the movie. Like, I mean, show that whole sequence with Trinity. They, they pull the guns on her. You don't know who she yeah. is. And she's this like very life powerful figure and all the way through, like she's getting chased, pursued to the ending where she calls the phone. You think she's going to die. There's a truck like streaming yeah. towards her and crashes, but no, she teleports away. And it, then that, you know, slam cuts to, to Neo and actually starts off the story. It's a great way to kind of get you into the spirit of, of this movie. What I love about this one, I mean, I, I don't want to want to refer to the sequels that much because I know Quinn, you haven't seen them, but what I love about it too is that I think this one in particular probably spends the most time like actually in the Matrix itself rather than talking about it. And as you said, like the needless uh, exposition, like I think in the second one, it, that one lays it on a bit heavy. It's almost like Attack of the Clones at times when they're and, getting and yet into I really the appreciate of, the exposition. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the things about the Matrix that I like, and, and I'll get back to your other question here in a minute, but one of the things about the Matrix that I really like is that they make the exposition interesting. Yeah. So so even in the first one, there's something even just iconic about the whole scene of, of you know, Neo is this, his day job is just some computer programmer sitting there in these blank walls, nothing on the walls, not allowed to put up any personal uh, the ideal male living or, space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anything at all. You're in, you're in, you know, cubicle farm hell, mm-hmm. uh, having to report to your boss, you you hate your job. You're really good at it, but you hate it. And you're just looking for something different and new. And suddenly you're, you're, you're on a window ledge and there's a cell phone arriving in a FedEx package. And like, there's just something very cool about that, that whole way that they develop that story. And yet there is a ton of exposition. I mean, Mor- Morpheus for Lawrence Fishburne has a, has a whole bunch of, trying to explain to you how things happened and taking yeah. it back to, but they made it really, really interesting in how they presented it and kept it visually stimulating the whole time. Um, when you talked about being in Australia, so a buddy and I were in Australia about mid two thousands and we, we started looking around and we didn't go there deliberately trying to find, you know, the matrix stuff. It just sort of, we got to that one iconic intersection in downtown Sydney where everybody crosses in all directions at the same time. And both of us went, holy shit, I think this is where they filmed uh, that scene for The Matrix. And we had no, we never really thought about it until then. And then we just started asking around and going, oh my God, yeah, that building there is the one that the helicopter was was flying around. And, and so we started talking to some of the locals. They're like, oh yeah, the helicopter was annoying. It was like two weeks of this helicopter circling this building and filming scenes. And we had, I don't know how I didn't figure out that it was it was uh, Sydney that, that they had filmed this in. So and then you yeah. start looking at the iconic radio tower and whatever. And now every time I see it, I'm going, "Oh my god! Like, how was I so dumb? How did I not clue into this?" But yeah. The yeah. Uh, the, the sequel when there's the great uh, car chase on on the highway scene. I mean, they built that whole highway specifically for filming the Matrix, and I believe that it's still in operation. Like it was, they just took part of it and, mm-hmm. and actually turned into something useful at the end. 
But uh, all the locals were, were, were realizing that that was, that was something they were building. It was, it was just this huge production uh, for Sydney. And I, I'm not entirely sure if there was very many other movies that had been filmed in Sydney prior to that. But I think it sort of filmed a new uh, or spawned yeah. a new film industry in the city as a result of just not being L.A. and not being New York and yet having that very modern city feel somewhere to, to go and film things at. Yeah. And, and actually, yeah, you're right. Like Sydney actually became a little bit of a hub. I don't have the full context, but I do know like their industry kind of got a big shot because of this. And it's kind of a genius a setting choice too, because like, it, you know, if you're an American audience, it feels, it's just like filming in Canada or otherwise, like it feels American. It seems American, same building, same culture, but it's a little bit not. And I, I think it kind of, again, works well within the, you know, the matrix plot of like, it's a, it's a reality, but it actually isn't when you look a little bit below the surface or you start to clue into the way uh, things are. And I think the if they that, had filmed yeah. in LA or New York, it would have actually taken you out of that world too much because it just would yeah. have felt, it, it, it would have felt too normal almost and not not just different enough. Yeah, yeah too, exactly. cli too cliche, right? And that's the yep. thing- that's the one thing I liked what you said before is like the matrix is so um, it is so different and it is so unique that it's like, obviously the, the premise of it is, is a unique one, but at the same time, it's like, you, you can't really compare it at least, at least at the time when it came out and stuff, like you couldn't compare it like, Oh, this is exactly like this. Like, no, like the matrix is like its own thing. It's its own. It's like star Wars in a way mm -hmm. where it's like, that's its own thing. It's not really like a Venn diagram of other things and they're linked up. The matrix is its own sort of like, it's its own world. It's its own entity. It's its own sort of um, genre in a way it's its own yeah. thing. So to shoot it in, in, in a city like Sydney um, is going to, like you said, it's going to make it um, sort of unfamiliar and different and new and I think that's what gives it um, the edge above other films that are sort of in a way similar, but yeah, I'm super excited to see now that you've mentioned that car chase in the second one, I got to get to work here. Oh man. Yeah, you could love number I, two, I, yeah. I, I've argued to people in the past that, okay. I mean, the first matrix movie is obviously a, an icon of its own and inspired so many things, but I actually find the second uh, matrix reloaded to be a more enjoyable movie for, for various yeah. reasons. Okay. Um, John, I know you, you've reviewed uh, Kill Bill on the podcast before, and it yep. came out after The Matrix. And I was starting to, as you were talking, I was starting to wonder how much of what they actually accomplished with the, you know, the Kung, the, the Kung Fu style uh, wire work and what they were able to do with Kill Bill, how much of that came as a result of saying, hey, the audience's tolerance for, for seeing this in mainstream movies uh, kind of got demonstrated with The Matrix. Everyone loved it. It was so much fun. Hey, well, you know, it's not such a bad thing to try and integrate this back into back into movies. Yeah. And I was thinking like, I, I, for some reason I had like a, a vision back to watching those old goofy, like behind the scenes of like, you know, attack of the clones or revenge of the Sith, where they're showing the choreography between like Hayden Christensen and, and, uh, and Ewan McGregor. And it's, it's like done like very, like, like almost like a martial art, like, you know, the original traditional star Wars sword fights were done almost like a throwback to like a lot of swashbuckler cinema and Errol Flynn and a lot of, it's a very 100%, slow, yeah. or, or frankly, a lot of like uh, Kurosawa, like almost like samurai films, like very slow and deliberate pace. Whereas the new ones it's backflips and it's like a dance happening. And I think like, you don't, I don't know if you get that much of it. I know that that first uh, prequel movie came out the same year as this, but I, I think like that movie and this, like there was so much buzz of a lot of Asian influences and, and anime too. Like this movie is obviously quite inspired by a lot of works of anime. I think like even thinking back to like Akira or Ghost in the Shell sp specifically too for its setting, like a lot of that influence 
into this and at the same time like anime was blowing up in the world with pokemon and digimon and all these things infiltrating into the kind of u.s popular culture you know to this day still quite quite popular and then the, the australian setting too is actually a funny wrinkle because uh, uh jean renault was actually first offered the role as a uh, as uh, Agent Smith, but he wasn't willing to move to Australia for it. So they ended up giving it to Hugo Weaving. I mean, the casting in this is is quite strong. Of course, Keanu Reeves is the iconic Neo. Will Smith was actually, this is like a famous bit of movie trivia that everyone cites, but Will Smith was actually um, supposed to be in the role, but he turned it down because of the time he was making Wild Wild West. He looks back, he said like, it's one of his biggest regrets was not taking this role. <laughs> and I, I like to always play these games where I'm like, what, what, what would the movie have been like if they had been in the role? And I think like Will Smith actually would have worked well, even though like, I think, you know, a star power is quite big. Like I think he actually would have worked really well. Um, Other f- folks that were considered were Brad Pitt, Val Kilmer, uh, Leo DiCaprio. Apparently Johnny Depp was actually the Wachowski's first choice to play this role. Uh, would have been hard to film the most recent one if it had been Johnny Depp, but, uh, and actually I'll, I'll also, interestingly enough, um, they were considering doing a role with Neo as a woman, and they actually wanted to have uh, Sandrick Bullock in the role. And actually, because they went with uh, you know Keanu Reeves as a male character, they they had, they had also offered her the role uh, of Trinity. And they also looked at folks like uh, Jada Pickett Smith, which of course she plays Niobe in the, in the sequels. Um, but of course, they ended up with uh, another great Canadian, Carrie Ann Moss. I mean, God, she's so great in this, and uh, it was so good to see she's, her again. She's in the spectacular. Sequels. I mean, like I she, think it would have been yeah. it would have been great to have uh, the you know flip it on its on its head and have Neo be a female character. And I mean, Sandra Bullock at the time. So I think I'm trying to just remember the how this came out. And I'm just googling as we go, and I'm right. So Speed came out uh, several years before The Matrix, and of course, and Sandra she's Bullock in that was just yeah. tremendous in in Speed as an action hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would have been great to see her as Neo, and I and I. I I love the one line you just reminded me by by the the gender role, role reversal here. There's that line where where Neil says to Trinity, oh, "I always thought you were a guy," and, yeah. and she's most guys do. So yeah. it's <laughs> it's it's kind of I wonder if that wasn't uh, an intentional nod to to what their their original intent was but i mean yeah i mean it's it's like the biggest I, i'm not like an elephant in the room but it's it's the biggest thing you have to bring up is the fact that this movie you know when this movie was of course first directed release the wachowskis were still identifying as men now of course they identify as, as trans women um this movie i mean it, it's it's got so much i mean especially a lot of the wachowskis work stuff that came out later like sense eight and even bound like a lot of the work does really focus on gender roles and i mean this movie now is interpreted with a lot of as being almost like a, a trans movie like it, there's so much of it is the idea of you know you not feeling like your true self i mean even the idea of like the red pill it's almost like parallels you know taking hormones and um you know they, they wachowskis themselves like they didn't actually like make this movie specifically about that but of course you can't help but see that subtext you know knowing their own arcs as well too and they've looked back now and they they've even commented saying like you know you know that 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 sort of subtext does exist there um and and it's kind of it gives you that feeling you know something kind of being fundamentally wrong to yourself kind of identity you know associating this movie with kind of like gender dysphoria of you know feeling like you're not your true body even though you know you're your own person but you don't feel like you identify with your body and i mean there's also so many other god allegories like this movie is pretty much like a giant plato's cave allegory the idea of like you know seeing the light in that great moment Uh, it's such a great not 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 to say a plot twist but the movie really flips itself on its head when you see of course neo gets visited by like agent smith and or not agent smith but trinity and and uh and Morpheus, you know, they're telling him he's getting these cryptic messages about this sort of other world that's going on. He, you know, he identifies Trinity as this like hacker and he wants to know what's going on. And of course, he finds out that sort of the main kind of plot of this film is the idea that 
the real world you live in, the world world that we live in is actually fake. It's this false world created by machines. And it's a quite a striking scene, a little bit of like very like body horror when Neo is coming out of you know, the matrix, he's all shaven. He's like, he's, it's literally like a little bit of like a Christian. It's like, it's like a baby being born. He's like being born into this world. He's got tubes all into him. Uh, you know, he's in this like weird red, like uh, soapy goop. And, goop. Yeah. yeah we, we find out again through some additional dialogue that again, it's good because the movie, it's so much of it is still obfuscated. You know, uh, Morpheus says like, we think the year is probably like 2199. He's like, he's not, he's like, even then we're not sure we can't tell, but we know it's somewhere in the future robots have taken over there's been some sort of greater context and i mean if you watch like the animatrix you get the whole backstory of what happened but you find out that something happened robots have sort of taken over they're effectively using human beings it's almost like an energy source um and as a result humanity everyone's sort of plugged into this fake world um, but there again i really few, like how they yeah. how they don't try to explain that at least at least until later mm-hmm. when the popularity demanded that they do but at the beginning, they just sort of throw that out there and let, let your imagination fill in what's happened to the earth in the last hundred years here, or whether it's even a hundred years or not. Um, cause, cause your imagination will be better than anything we come up with. We just don't know what it is, but here we are. And this is the situation. Um, and then it, it also factors into that. And I mentioned it before the whole reluctant hero motif. I, I find myself drawn to, to stories like that, like the last Starfighter or Ender's game. Like the fact that you're, you're, you're the one they've, someone has searched you out through time and space because you are, you are that iconic figure. You're, you're the only entity that can solve this particular, this particular yeah. problem. It's that's, like the hero's journey arc, similar with yeah, like Luke the and Star heroes. Wars. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and it's cool too. Cause it, it almost like we talked about the gender flipping, like it is kind of almost like Neo at times is sort of like the damsel in distress. I mean, the first character we see is Trinity. She's sort of the one that really kind of, you know, reaches out to him and kind of gets him into this. And even later, what we see with Morpheus is sort of like the damsel in distress. He's the one who's kind of kidnapped and they have to go rescue him. It's cool how it doesn't really kind of stick to these very strict, you know, uh, typical norms. And it it allows the movie, as a result, it's very refreshing to rewatch because it it holds up very well amongst a lot of action films that are still catching up to this in that regard. So Trinity's kicking ass right from the get go and, and never lets up. Uh, yeah. that, that's just not something that we, you know, a, until that kind of time that we were used to seeing in movies, having, having the very powerful woman character that is yeah. just, just owns, yeah. owns their, what, what they are in their role and, uh, is able to, to kick the baddies ass long before the guy has a clue what's even going on. She's got the situation under control. Like, yeah. And some great needle drops too. I mean, we get Dragula when Neo walks in that weird, like uh, sex club thing or wherever he's at some crazy thing, like so many great needle drops. And we get like rage against the machine, uh, Marilyn Manson, a lot of that's in the credits, but I really, I actually really love uh, Don Davies score. Like, I think it's, it's so well done. Um, I love, uh, I love like, especially with the, the WB, the credits that pop up, the Warner brothers that, that, that score. When I heard that in, in the, in the newest sequel, I was like, Oh, we fuck. I was so hyped, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really it's great exciting. moment. And, and it adds a lot of, it adds a lot of, cause I mean, like this movie is very like cyberpunk, but the score is very theatrical. You know, it's got a mix of like a sound effects. It's also got like a little bit of, of mirroring going on. Like a lot of the motifs, the, the audio motifs kind of flip 
to kind of match like there's this under this is like recurring motif in this film of, of mirrors we see reflections in morpheus's glasses uh neo any any glasses you see reflections when neo's taking the red blue pill we see him reflected there uh broken mirror mending itself we see characters get turned into frac fractal pieces reflections warping and bending the helicopter and the skyscraper i was really kind of cluing in on this like there's so many scenes where you see a reflection on something else or someone in a mirror or or something like that you know again going to this whole idea of this sort of parallel reality of the world that you live in like when you look in a mirror it, it it's reflecting reality but it's not quite reality everything's flipped you look a little bit different you don't you see yourself differently in the mirror than you would kind of perceive yourself otherwise um and, and along it, those same yeah. lines john the the concept of deja vu being something that that the matrix is is a result of the matrix is it the yeah. same black cat you know if you have that sense of deja vu that means oh that's something's about to go down i love how they integrated that and and the fact that that sort of has that mirror motif as, as well and, and fantasy too like you get the little bit of alice in wonderland the white rabbit there's like this constant reoccurring of of that and like even like the red the red pill blue pill is almost like the drink me uh like the potion of alice to shrink or get bigger and i mean even the most recent movie the trailer for it had like the the white rabbit the jefferson airplane song again getting to this idea of this like um, almost like fantasy um, style Alice in Wonderland type universe. And it's interesting, the whole red pill, blue pill thing, because it's it's so funny because, I mean, now there's like so many people now who perceive this movie as being like a very radical trans film, you know, very feminist film. But, uh, you know, conversely, there's like a whole people who have taken the whole red bill symbolism to mean like men's rights and basically guys who just want to pick up chicks and get laid who are tired of their wives who divorced them, they got to pay child support. Like there's like this whole community that's taken like the red pill as like an ideology and kind of co-opted more for like a very, like almost extreme far right misogynist. It's kind of funny to see how, and I, and I think that's, it speaks to good art too, because I was rewatching, we're going to talk about it in a future Carpenter episode, They Live, um, a movie that I was watching that right during when the convoy was happening. And I'm like, you know what, you can watch this movie and you can see the obvious like, Reagan criticisms that like Carpenter was going for of consumption and, and and media control and that sort of thing. But I was watching. I'm like, I bet you like someone in the convoy watches to be like, this this is me. Like I feel like this character. This is exactly me. And I think that's what's good about this movie is that it is like a bucket. You know, it has its obvious uh, viewpoint and and themes. And you know, it, it, you can listen, of course, to the directors and writers who make it and talk about the movie and the and the cast members of how they feel and what they put into it but you can still look look into it almost like a bucket and project a lot of yourself it's why it's, it still holds up because it is so focused on the idea of identities and also the idea of um kind of a fear and 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 worry around you know the emergence of computers and technology i mean we're still having those conversations today we're scared about tesla's self-driving cars crashing into a wall or or ai yep. taking over everything these are ever-present concerns still today and i think this movie was really at the crux of that the late 90s was a really key time for of course that was the time when the world wide web was kind of really becoming a big thing like i can think of something like that same year, the Blair Witch Project, probably the first movie that I can think of that really leaned into sort of internet as viral marketing. The idea like this is a true story, go on our website and find more that nothing had really been done like that. It was funny watching this too, because the end credits, it has like the, uh, uh, what was the website? It's like, what is the matrix.com or whatever. Yeah, it's a, it, it was it's a so very cryptic. different way of advertising it for sure. Yeah, yeah. And if you go on that website now, it actually redirects you to this website for the new one. So it was kind of cool that it's still up there. Cause I'm like, I wonder if the URL still works. It's like the space jam one where you go and the old website is still there or whatever. It's kind of fun to, uh, to see that little bit of, uh, of stuff, but yeah, I mean, I got, God, there's, there's just so much stuff to say. Like we haven't even really gotten to the plot too much. We'll talk, maybe we'll, we'll kind of run through some of our favorite moments. Cause this movie again is, is so 
you know, blatantly heady and, and has so much obvious inspirations between philosophy and, and even like something like Immanuel Kant, the idea of people knowing and perceiving the world sort of through um, synthetic means and that the idea that truth is something that isn't just given to you is truth is something that has to be, you know, fought for and perceived. And uh, also shout out to a uh, good old Joey Pants who plays Cypher in this. I was, I did a big Sopranos yep. rewatch and I mean, I, I think he's great and a great character too, a great foil. You kind of feel again, like he's meant to be somewhat of a villain because he's sort of this like Benedict Arnold who sort of betrayed the the, the people on the ship, the Nebuchadnezzar, what is it? The Nebuchadnezzar? The, the Nebuchadnezzar. The Nebuchadnezzar. I can almost barely say that word. The Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> and he sort of betrays his crewmates because he's actually talking to the Agent Smiths and, and, and kind of double crosses them. But you, you hear what he's saying and he's like the idea. He's like, you know what? Like, I, I like living in the Matrix. The Matrix is comfortable. It's fun there. I don't have to eat fucking sloppy gruel. They're, ha- they're eating this food that they're saying is just like an ammonia like thing. Snot. Yeah. And we get that great line where he's saying like, it's like chicken. He's like, how does the Matrix know what chicken really is? Like, he's like, that's why everything tastes like chicken. I love the little goof moments where they're kind of, you know, little, little, little um, moments where they're kind of poking fun at the idea of this like world we live in. But uh you know, I think his character, while he is sort of perceived as a villain, you you can kind of connect to him because you're like, I could imagine like thinking the way he does. Like, it must suck to be like, you know, l- the part of unplugging and you know accepting reality is accepting that you're you're entering material conditions that are infinitely worse for you. You're going to be miserable, alone. The family or loved ones that you knew in the real world don't actually exist; they're fake. Like that would be very traumatic for a lot of people. And I think like he is, you know, he's a villain, but he's someone that you can again sympathize with and i think the movie really layers on a lot of characters you don't really know who the true villain is we see the robots there's this whole kind of bigger world outside the matrix we see the agent smith character and the agents in the, in, in the movie who are these sort of programmed in characters in the matrix that are you know trying to control people and i mean the, this movie doesn't really get into it the sequels kind of explore smith as a character more the idea of like a of like an ai within a system kind of gaining a sense of actuality and, and a sense of its own individualism. Uh, I well, mean, let's it, talk it, for um, a minute about, about Agent Smith, because we were, we were reviewing before, like who, who the alternatives, uh, you know, actor and actresses could it could have been for this. And I, I'm not sure who else applied for the, for the Agent Smith role, but I simply cannot see anyone but Hugo Weaving being in that role anymore like it yeah. was his deadpan voice is, is his, yeah like <laughs> he his delivery and his his vote voice and his tone is what part of what made those lines so quotable it mm. almost has to be you have to almost try and say them in his voice to make the to make the full impact uh, of what he's doing there one of the one of my favorite scenes with, with agent smith in in the, the first matrix movie it was also another scene that kind of flipped traditional uh, scenes on, on its ass was uh, when uh, Neo gets taken in by the man, quote unquote, like we, we just think of, of Smith as like an FBI or CIA yep. agent or, you know, one of those kind of traditional roles. And he gets brought in the office with the desk and okay, here, I'm going to get ratted out by the man. And there's so much in that scene that I love. I love the way Hugo Weaving unravels the, uh, the string around those old school files and, and looking through and, the, the, the sunglasses are on and the shades and grunting at him and trying to make him a deal. And, and the, and the whole scene, I mean, there's, there's brilliance in the scene, but there's a little bit of cliche in it until again, it flips, it's on its ass. And suddenly, you know, Neo's mouth is disappearing and mm. the, the world is completely changing in front of you again. It's like your, your, your brain gets like, Oh crap, this isn't, this isn't the, a traditional movie. This isn't going to go down the way I normally think it's going to go. And there's something very bizarre about this world 
happening. Uh, again, just great, great uh, way of, of giving exposition without being cliche and, and traditional in that way. Yeah, it's it's really brilliant. You know, I, I love I love how the movie really adds in these little bit of body horror moments. Like it is very much an action movie, but it is a little bit of a body horror movie. I mean, we talked earlier about the the neo birth scene, that scene in particular where he gets his mouth shut, and then that grotesque like worm thing that like inserts itself in his body, and then they have yeah, to holy shit, it. that thing's real. You know, yeah, just... you know, like lo- long live the new flesh. Like yeah, this is like a definitely like it, it's just it's pretty it's pretty slimy, and there's a lot of just goopiness. Again, I love I love the practical work on this movie. This is a a much more of like a, a genuine practical special effects movie. Like I. I, I, again, I don't want to get too into the sequels, but I think both good and bad, the sequels lean in a lot more heavy into like very early aught CGI, more so than this one. Like this one uh, does feel like a little bit more traditional. And I mean, there's so many good, uh, I mean, maybe we'll just run through some of our favorite moments. Like I really might, one of my favorite scenes is the subway fight between Neo and Smith. Like it's just, it's shot so well. The, the context switches and, and there's the, the tension of, you know, they're, they're getting ready to escape, you know, Trinity answers the phone, right. As he changes and, and, you know, it's, it's Neo by himself and it's, it's a great moment. Great needle drops. There's so many great, the scene that still chokes me up is Neo finally reached the point of self-actualization when, you know, he's already cluing in the matrix is real. I mean, he's able to pull off crazy gun shit, but you know, Morpheus is putting all of his eggs in his basket here. He's sort of, again, he's this like, almost like, evangelical figure who sees neo as this like chosen messiah there's this whole undercurrent of the idea of that there's this like uh, you know chosen hero that's going to emerge and you know there's this whole people in this world who've put their faith and belief in him and in that scene where you know he's getting shot by agent smith and he's getting bullets at him and then he kind of stands up and emerges and and that great audio moment like the like the score the music in, there is awesome and he yeah. I, I get chills thinking about it like he looks out and he, and he sees the world he sees the code like he's finally kind of it's it's the plato's cave moment when you finally realize that what you're seeing is projections of a fire finally escaping and going out from the cave into the light and it's it's done so well and and i and, and i'm not really high on um keanu reeves in this movie i think he's better in the sequels but i love that moment when that happens and and when agent smith starts to punch him and he looks like it's like a fly swatting like he just turns around yeah, and he's just kind bounces of just, it off he's going slow motion yeah. he's he's actually realizing like everything that's happening is something that he can control and, and keep his his hands around it, it's just it's so brilliant and i mean i there also there's something yeah. about that scene john just before you move on there's something about that scene that reminded me of like like we used to play a lot of starcraft kind of around that same starcraft starcraft 2 in the in the mm-hmm. late 90s and you you got to the point and you know take your favorite favorite video game whether it's mario brothers or whatever i'm dating myself but um you get so good at a game that even on the most difficult mode you just swat things it's off like a, like it's you, like a flow state you're even it, mario it brothers you're just running through speed running yeah. almost just jumping you over don't things. even think about what you're doing anymore it's just muscle memory and you you know what to do and and that scene that you just described always reminds me of when you get to that point where a video game now becomes boring because you've you've mastered every aspect of it. you know exactly what to do, what to hit, exactly how many seconds between bullets you need to fire to hit the hit the dude that's not even on the screen. Um, there's something about that scene that reminds me of that kind of same feeling. Yeah, 
yeah and speaking about video games too like this movie has a lot of influences on hollywood entertainment also games like the max Payne series is all about like bullet time uh one of my favorite games when i was younger conquers bad fur day has a whole sequence that parodies the matrix where you're all dressed up and them entering the bank or whatever it's so funny and a lot of movies too in this time like scary movie has a matrix moment shrek has a matrix moment uh kung pao a lot of movies at this time that were just coming out were all of a sudden you know doing their own bullet time and that was sort of a wink and a nod to this movie um but it, it really did again kind of you know seep its way into sort of popular entertainment um we could talk about more of some, some of our favorite moments uh, quinn is there like i know we talked about some of the big ones but is there another scene that you could think of that really stands out to you um, yeah definitely uh yeah for sure like i know uh definitely i agree with you the subway fight's just amazing i'm a i'm a definitely one for like shots and visuals on a movie so um yeah other than the subway fight honestly of course the red blue uh red pill blue pill rather uh scene super cool reminds me of like alien and stuff like that just like mm -hmm. a super cool scene but overall i think my favorite scene of the movie is the sparring the sparring with uh, neo and morpheus so good super well shot and like i'm gonna we had kung fu yeah yeah um i know we had touched on kill bill too and like it kind of reminds me of like when uh what's her name uh the, the bride, bride, bride goes and meets chiba and like chiba gives uh gives her like the sword and stuff and sort of has that like a little bit of like a little training thing in that dojo and yeah a little atori hanzo sword yeah 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 it, it it's sort of like i could see how it influenced other films but um i remember watching it um and I, and that scene really stuck out to me. Like, I, I think I re I think I rewound it like during my first watch just to watch it again. I was like, fuck, this is crazy. And like, like I said before, like Lawrence Fishburne's super badass. I'm like a big fan. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot um, about that. How the, the Neo doing the like back. John, like, John's doing his iconic. own bullet time right now. Yeah, yeah. For, uh, right, yeah. I slow down yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just uh super iconic. And like when mm. I think of the Matrix, like I thought of that scene and I think that's my favorite scene in the movie other than the subway fight. Um, but uh, yeah. What about you, Steve? What, what's your favorite movie or I, favorite part? I, I mean, I've described so many scenes that I, that I really like about this movie already, but um, there's also, and, and, and it's one of the characters we haven't actually touched on yet, which is interesting is, is the Oracle as well. Yeah. Um, I, I love when, uh, you know, Neo's going to see the Oracle. He has no idea what he's going to do. He's sitting in this waiting room, you know, there's she, he goes in, the vase drops. She's saying, don't worry about it. Uh, the whole cookie baking part of it, just kind of giving him that sense of, and it was part of the mind screw of, of what she was doing with him with, with some of the exposition as well in there too. Just trying to make him figure out, you know, whether he is ready to be the hero, putting him in the right mindset to be one without actually saying, no, you're it. There was something very weird, like, okay, what is she doing with that? Uh, totally great scene. But I think one of my favorite, and and hopefully this doesn't say too much about me, other than the fact that it's just really really fun movie making, is the uh, the gun scene in the in the lobby before they're going up the elevator. Oh my so, god! So good, yeah. walking walking through, and and remember back, you know, the '90s after after uh, you know going through an airport, going through an X-ray machine, everything was was starting to become a little bit a little bit new, um, and and then we're like it was it was pre 9/11. You're, you're walking through and so someone comes in with a black bag, walks through the screen and then there's guns and the, the security guards just totally shocked as if 
they're never prepared for that eventuality <laughs> that someone's actually going to try this. I said a black trench coat coming with the eye. <laughs> yeah. Like now, nowadays you see that coming down there. You're not getting anywhere close to the x-ray machine, but back in the time, okay, well, what the hell is going on? It's just, just another day. Um, yeah, yeah. And that, that whole scene, I just thought it was, was really, really great. Um, in, in Sydney, one of the, one of the locals showed us the, it wasn't where they actually filmed it, obviously, but kind of the, the lobby that apparently inspired uh, the scene, how they laid it out with the pillars and, uh in the whole uh the tile and the stone and and just to be able to shatter things i i just thought it was cinematographically a, a very uh a very great scene there's a lot of really i love i, I say this all the time on this show like i also love movies that have a really good sense of geography and i kind of know what's going on even though this is a movie that literally transcends you know alternate realities and i still feel like a good sense of like i know the sense of geography in this film. Like I know where characters are going. I love the way they lay out rooms and, and settings. And the Wachowskis are really good at doing a lot of kind of wide shots. Again, they're kind of inspired by a lot of traditional Kung Fu. They give you kind of a full scope of what you're seeing. And, you know, the choreography is really telling the story there. It, it's just, it, it's such a well kind of outlaid film. And I, I know we're, I want to talk more, but I know time-wise we, we got to kind of stay on, on schedule. I think maybe we're going to have to, if we want to talk more about this movie going forward, we're going to have to, you know, do a Matrix 2 and 3 uh, episode and really dig in and talk yeah. a little bit more because there's, there's just so much, like I'm looking at my notes, I wrote so much stuff and I'm like, we're already like an hour in and we've already, we barely like, you know, we've, we've just entered the Matrix. We haven't fully you know, learn the, uh, the and, full truth, scope yeah. of truth, but no, going into that. the second and third movie, I think I could probably talk for an hour about how much I love the Merovingian character too. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's just, oh yeah, no, for sure. I, I think we'll have to do like a matrix, like, like super episode, super long one, maybe break it up into parts and have Steve back on and just yeah, sort of like make it down. Cause, it, Cause like I said, I really, I'm really desperate. Like I, I got to watch the second one and, and the other, and the other sequels, I got to get to them and I will get to them. Especially after this episode, now that, uh, yeah, I don't know, Steve. You've 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 talked it up, man. I got to see these other ones. Oh yeah. Well, I think I think it's probably obvious. This is this this might this is obviously one of my favorite movies, if not my favorite movie of all time, for so yeah. so many reasons. That you know the green the green tint in the film just is a completely different thing that we hadn't seen before either. Yeah. You know, I mean, I talked about before Carrie Ann Moss. I think she's obviously Sigourney Weaver inspired, just yeah. just yeah. being that that strong female character. That other than Sigourney Weaver, I'm not sure we had really seen up until that time uh being able to just learn how to fly a helicopter while your eyes blink for five seconds and suddenly mm. you know how to do it i'm gonna learn kung fu uh <laughs> the, the the quotability of this is is just a, astonishing really yeah yeah so uh on that note let's go into i mean we're gonna we're again we're folks if you want to hear more matrix i think yeah we're gonna have to plan out I think that's a good idea, Quinn. We'll do like a super episode where we go Reloaded, Revolutions, maybe talk Animatrix. Who knows? Like I was thinking about watching that again, the goofy Animatrix. I do really love the kind of fall of Scion or the, the fall of, the, of mankind kind of sequence of that movie. That's probably the best part of that movie. I really dig that. It gives you a lot of background to the movie while still being pretty fun to watch. Uh, maybe we'll do like a big super episode and kind of get into it a lot more. But on that note, we're for the sake of time, and I know, Quinn, you've got about a half an hour left with us anyway, so we got we to gotta move things onward. Let's Let's get into our ratings. I'll actually start off by reading uh, Curtis's comments. He was kind enough to leave some notes for his um, thoughts on this movie and also for his uh, watch series. So we'll we'll get into that as well when we proceed onwards. So uh, Curtis said, this is his comment. He wrote, I, I'm reading from his lines. The Matrix is awesome. I used to watch it on television. 
but always had to go to bed before I could watch the end of it. So it was really cool seeing it at a friend's in high definition to the end when I went for a sleepover. I really like how awkward Neo is at first. The film opened so many doors too, not just in terms of cinema, but also in terms of philosophy and culture, existentialism, etc. I didn't care for any of the sequels, although I would have liked to have seen more of Tank in the sequels. I love some of the more of the peripheral characters too, like Mouse. And I wonder how the film would have turned out if Cypher hadn't screwed everyone over. Great performance from Joey Pants, by the way. Just as slimy as Ralph Sifretto and Soprano. Such a cool movie. And he gave it a, a four out of five. Um, sorry, Quinn, what did she give it score-wise? Oh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah, no, honestly, great film. I am sad that I didn't get to see it in like the height of its popularity in the late 90s, early 2000s. But um yeah, I need to watch it again because, like I said, I only watched it the one time and I wasn't able to watch it for the purpose of this episode, but I gave it a 4.5 out of 5. But honestly, you know what? Front to back, it's it, it's a five-star movie. It's just, again, I saw it too late and maybe some of the aspects of it, um, maybe, you know, just because of what's happened since the release and everything. Um, yeah, I gave, I gave it a 4.5 out of 5, but it is, it is a five-star movie, so I do give um the utmost respect to the film um but yeah 4.5 for me cool cool how about yourself uh, steve well i mean if it's not obvious by now it's it, this is a <laughs> this this is a five five out of five for me and if we were doing domestic pints only i'd be 100 percent giving it the modifier uh, yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> this is uh it, it's it's i think it's one of the most the we're probably one of the most iconic movies in the 1990s for sure uh and and it, like john's mentioned it still holds water it's still highly entertaining Yep. Uh, and just inspired so many things. We didn't even get into movies that inspired like, uh, oh, oh, what was the one I was thinking of? Interstellar. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And, and what was the one with the world bending around? Oh, Inception. Inception is the one I was thinking of. Like, there's just so much of those kind yeah, of movies. Of, a lot of Nolan stuff is like really like inspired by like, the Matrix. And it's, Absolutely. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. That's a good call. Yeah. Five, five, this, this is a five plus modifier for me, John. Yeah, yeah, I went, uh, I guess, I, I, again, I, I recently rewatched all the sequels in preparation for the newest one. And I'm, I'm very high on those. I know some people don't like the second or don't like the third. I, I think those are both really great movies and rewatched them. I appreciated them a little bit more. I still think this one's probably the best one just by a hair. I gave it five out of five, too. I mean, what's not to love? This is such a great movie. It's a great popcorn flick that appeals to a wide audience of people. Again, I talked about you can be someone who really clues into a lot of the themes around um, philosophy, about simulation around existentialism, around concerns around technology and AI, or just in gender identity and the idea of you feeling not like your true self and, and seeing a lot of projections of gender dysphoria in this movie. Or you can be a reactionary and be like, oh, I don't, I don't like the government either. I distrust you know, big tech. And you can also, it appeals to you. I love how, I love movies that can still be appealing that way. Um, the cast is pretty good. Again, I'm not super hand on Keanu Reeves in this, but I think he's good. He's passable. He's kind of a good kind of tabula rosa, rosa which I think works in this movie. He's very flat, but it, it works to his character. Again, he's just kind of shy. It, it makes him a little bit of an atypical protagonist. And I think the world it builds is so good. I love the practical effects in this. I, I still rewatched it. Again, I rewatched it last year. It had been many years. Like I was still really emotionally struck by it like a lot of the really big needle drop moments of the score chiming in like again with neo sees the matrix like i'm getting chills to even think about it like it's just so well shot i think it's still to this day probably the wachowski's best directorial effort like i, I love this movie um and, and it's still a movie that speaks to everyone today it's very rare to see a movie especially something coming out like at this time it's it's been what 20 over 20 years now i think back to when i was a kid 
movies from 20 years ago i guess you're kind of talking about like um stuff in the 80s like a lot of which was popular but i, I mean this movie to this day is still hitting with people it's still a movie that people go back to and rewatch. and I, I can't help but think that 10 20 years later from now we're still going to be going back to this movie it's still going to feel very fresh it's just it's just a sign of a, a very true you know piece of of art of cinema something that could still stand the test of time and you can go back to it years later and still find new things and things that you clue on um, yeah, easy five out of five for me. Altogether, aggregate, because Curtis gave it a four out of five, gives us a 4.625 out of five. I mean, that's a pretty high score. Um, really bang on. And yeah, we're going to have to talk more Matrix. We're going to have to do a sequels episode because so much of talking about this movie is also talking a little bit about the sequels, even though, I mean, this movie stands on its own. And also, I love the ending of this movie. It's a very hopeful kind of ending. It's almost like a call to action. It's like, hey, you out there, you know, the Matrix is real. Like, uh, join us. It's I'm like going to show these people. It's very inspirational, and I, and I love that, too. So anyways, now we're moving on to our what we watched this week. Actually, before we get into it, I'll read over uh, Curtis's notes because he was kind enough to provide us with some comments and stuff he watched. So he watched uh, the first one that Curtis watched was uh, Winter on Fire. Um, oh, I want to see that. He said, if you want to know more about the Russia-Ukraine conflict, the 2014 documentary Winter on Fire is a crucial look at some of uh, some of its origins, including the Euro Maiden protests in Kiev. The protests were a response to then Ukrainian President uh, Yanukovych's pro-Russian government and led to him being overthrown. I think it really showcases the incredible resilience of the Ukrainian people. They are not Russian, never have been, and likely never will be. To be honest, some of the documentary was a bit boring, but I think it's an important one to watch. The documentary is available to watch for free on youtube as well as on netflix so check that one out uh the next one he watched he watched because we just did an episode on hard-boiled he watched the next one in john Woo's uh filmography the first one he did in hollywood hard target uh he said uh this this is the next one he did after hard-boiled and his atlanta crossing into hollywood it's a it's it's pretty terrible especially jean-claude van damme who can't act does he even read his lines but i love john <laughs> Woo's direction and that slightly redeems it but i guess a bad script is a bad script lance henriksen plays the villain here yet again and he's pretty badass in this role so that also makes up for it but who the hell knows what's going on here like that steven seagal dud under siege it's one of those movies where the bad guys i.e tommy lee jones lance henriksen are cooler and more interesting and i kind of wish they survived instead Ooh, some hot, spicy opinions. I was actually, I was looking at the movies he watched and looking up. A lot of people like Hard Target, so I'm, I'm kind of interested to check that one out. And the last one he watched was uh, Last Exit Space. This is a Werner Herzog new documentary on space travel colonization with, uh, I guess, released through Discovery+. Plus. He collaborated with his son Rudolph for it. And as with most of his recent documentaries, it's very entertaining and, and compelling. There's not much new uncovered here, but it's always interesting. And I really enjoyed learning more about the international space initiatives, particularly among independent scientists and engineers and how science fiction seen in movies like Interstellar is slowly becoming a reality. It would be cool to actually have more footage of Werner and his crew in space, but I guess there's always Rick and Morty for that. I enjoyed the connection between indigenous Hawaiian beliefs in the volcano and the rest of the universe. Uh, do you, and he proposed a question to us. Do you guys have any favorite uh, Werner Herzog documentaries? I guess I'll go first. I haven't watched all of his documentaries, but I do love Grizzly Man. Such a bleak, weird, strange sort of story and movie. Kind of heartbreaking too. Also kind of positive. It's like, it, it brings a lot of emotions because at the same time you're like, I guess to, to not be too spoilery, it's about the story about this man who lived with grizzlies and kind of met an untimely end. And it kind of, you, you kind of see him as like almost insane for this, but then you kind of learn a little bit about his passion and, and love for these animals that, you know, are kind of like forces of nature. So I love that one. How about you guys? Do you guys have any uh, Werner Herzog doc faves or hits? 
Uh, yeah, I, well, actually, I recently watched one of his that I really liked. So I'll mm-hmm. speak on that quick. I watched uh, Into the Abyss about a man who is on death row. Um, yeah, he talks about capital punishment in America. And he talks to this convicted killer uh, of this guy in Texas. Came out in 2012. And I actually, I had heard about it. It was on my IMDb list and I watched it. I didn't even know it was Werner Herzog until I, I like looked into it, like basically as I was watching and I was like, holy shit. And anyways, very, very good. Into the Abyss, if you get a cool, chance. Cool. Worth your time. Nice. I, I'm just scanning through uh, Wikipedia here to just to refresh myself on his filmography. And I, I'm not even sure I've ever seen any uh, Werner Herzog movies. So this is uh, something we're going to have to investigate. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, very like very yeah. cool filmmaker, man. He does like a lot of really, really different things. He doesn't stick to like one subject or one like thing. That's what I mean. Like when I watch this, I was like, this is just like your typical sort of like, not typical, but it's like a, just a crime drama documentary. And you're like, oh shit, he did this. But like, yeah, he's, I don't think he's close to any ideas per se. Like he's. These, these titles are very familiar, but I, I'm just trying to think which would what these have actually seen. So that's uh, yeah. interesting. And that's some of his documentaries, like some of his regular films are good too, like Aguirre and also um, the, uh, the Nosferatu film he did. Like he's done some great yeah. uh, kind of traditional theatrical directorial efforts. And I think he's also done some acting. Wasn't he on, I think he was in one of the new Star Wars shows. He plays a character in it. Uh, I heard and that. Also, yeah, and also if you if you like his documentaries, also check out Errol Morris, who's like a really pretty popular acclaimed direct um, documentarian. I love his films too, and I kind of always set, kind of see them kind of A and B up there for me. Um, let's get into also what we watched. So uh, Quinn, why don't you uh, start us off? What what sort of stuff did you watch this week? Yeah, um, I watched the new one from Paul Thomas Anderson called Licorice Pizza. Yes, awesome movie. I loved it. it I think great. I I. Incredible. I love Paul Thomas Anderson. Again, a guy mm-hmm. who's not afraid to get into genres or types of films. Uh, yeah, just, you know, Boogie Nights. I think There Will Be Blood is like one of the greatest films ever made. Um, mm-hmm. I just really, really admire his work. And Licorice Pizza is like just super cool. It's like super fun romance movie. It doesn't have that much substance to it, but just like really good dialogue, really good soundtrack. Reminding great me needle, way of Boogie Great Needle Nights. Drops. Yeah, it's very yeah, Boogie you know, Nights. Yeah, the music was off the chain. Um, you know, have you grooving on the couch type shit. And it's like super cool love story, a little bit unorthodox. Um, I love it. I love the fact that it's up for best picture. I don't know if it'll win, but just... Oh, I hope it does. That'd be amazing. I hope it does I too. I love it. Either. Yeah, but just filmed very well. Super it's just it's just an adorable movie and i think it's like i, I think if 100 people watch it like 99 people would like it i just think most people would like it maybe some people would find it boring but like i don't know uh, me and my wife we, we both loved it and it's one of those movies where it ended and we were like that was pretty good and then like the next day i was like that was really good like i i, I want to watch it again you know yeah, and I wanted to speak out real quick. This is maybe like a little PSA or call action, but like I, I'm I'm big on film Twitter. I'm I'm totally smooth brained. I'm spend way too much time on Twitter and at Letterbox. There's been kind of a a little bit of drama because you know this movie does feature um, somewhat of an age difference. We have one character who's 23, kind of a like a layabout, you know, nothing in her life going on. Another character who's like a, a teenager, 16 years old. I want to say if you're concerned about the kind of age gap, that is explicitly part of the movie. Like the first 20 minutes, of this movie is like focusing specifically on that and like i watched it and i didn't really find it to be 
that inappropriate myself. There's no scene where a character's like, you know what? Age gap relationships are a-ok. Like that's not in this. It's not like that. Like I would say, please check out. It's a really funny, fun hangout movie. Some little odd spots, but it's just the, the, there's just so much energy and passion in it. And I love Paul Thomas Anderson, God King, PTA knocks out of the park yet again, a nice kind of classic throwback. Uh, Yeah, it was great. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's really well put too, John, because um, at no point does this movie go overboard. Like pretty much anyone can watch this movie. It's not like, it's not your, you know, it's not super bad. It's not like, it's not over the top. It's like very, very fun teen comedy romance sort of. I don't want to get too too into it, but yeah. um, Yeah, Licorice Pizza, one of the best films of the year. So check that out. Speaking of another one of the best films of the year, I was lucky enough to see um, the Batman, the new Batman movie twice in theaters this week, because as soon as I saw it, I was like, I'm buying another ticket to go see it in a couple of days. And oh, my God, watch that movie. It's so good. Um, Nice. Super cool. Like the score is amazing. The acting by Lenny Kravitz's daughter, Zoe Kravitz, is amazing. I think Robert, I'm bold statements coming up, one after the other. I think Robert Pattinson is the best Batman of all time. Wow. Not, not Bruce Wayne, but Batman. Holy. I, I'm Michael, telling you, Michael I got Keen, bold statements. Out. I have bold statements coming. Um, <laughs> I think it's the best overall Batman movie ever wow. made. Overall. I'm not, I'm not shying away from The Dark Knight. And what Heath Ledger did and all that. I'm not shying away from Christian Bale. Michael Keaton is still, I love the guy. The original Batman was Jack Nicholson, Tim Burton. Phenomenal. I just think that overall for um, for acting, atmosphere, uh, true to the comics, not dulling you out on the story that we all know about. Um, uh, just entertainment. Uh, the choreography, the cinematography. The soundtrack featuring an awesome Kurt Cobain. I won't get oh. into that too much. Um, honestly, I think overall it's the it's the best Batman movie ever made. And some people would probably send me death threats for that, but like <laughs> I will say, it, it's absolutely phenomenal from the start to to its finish. Um, it brings you in, and uh, you don't have to see any other Batman movie to see this. It's just like you know that he is Batman, and just honestly enjoy it um five out of five absolutely phenomenal and like i was shocked i was going into this i like robert pattinson i like what he did with the lighthouse i like what he did in a movie called good time oh yeah Um, i love good time yeah it was great um but i'm just blown away just just uh overall it's more of a think think if blade runner seven zodiac and Fight Club had a baby, it would be the Batman. Oh, wow. Yes. That's a high praise, damn. Yes, very atmospheric. It's a detective story. It's a serial killer story. There's twists and turns. There's surprises for all Batman fans and movie fans in general. Go see the Batman. Trust me, it's so worth your time. Cool. So that's all I'll say about that one. Um, and the next one I saw, I watched Spike Lee's, um, one of Spike Lee's newest uh, documentaries the new york city epicenters 9 11 to 2021 and a half and it's i believe it was four episodes long and each episode is like two hours like it's oh, yeah. it's long and it's like get back <laughs> yeah yeah uh 
um, basically the documentary starts and it goes right into the height of the pandemic, March and April of 2020, when New York was really hit really bad with the pandemic. And it's really sad. It's really raw. And basically it goes sort of like ahead of time and, and back and ahead of time and back a little bit, but it focuses on like the pandemic and how they've sort of like, you know, got their city back in a way. And then it goes back to 9-11 and how the, the city reacted to that and how they've grown since and the whole rebuild of the city that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was really interesting, very interesting documentary, very interesting um, facts. You know, it's, it's Spike Lee. So he is going to go into the, um, you know, police brutality and he is going to go into a lot of subjects that a lot of people would sort of, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit, um, it's sad, very sad, mm-hmm. but uh, very interesting cool. documentary, and I recommend it. Um, and the last thing that I watched this week was a documentary that I've seen before, but I didn't really remember it too much, uh, called Dark Days. And it's about um, a bunch of homeless people living in the um, Amtrak train tunnels of New York City um, in Manhattan. And basically, this British filmmaker named Mark Singer he just follows them around and sees how they live and sees what kind of living conditions. And like, there's one guy who's like stealing power. He's like, I'm not paying for this shit. And he's just like, he's like shaving with an electric razor and they're going out and, you know, they're, they're finding bottles and getting money in order to support, you know, some of them have like drug habits and other things, but um, very interesting documentary shot in black and white. Check out dark days. It was on the criterion channel actually. Um, so yeah, definitely check that out. What about you, John? What'd you watch? Uh, sure, yeah, I watched a, a wide variety of things, and I, I actually prepared a little bit more this time. I'm like, sometimes I, we do this, and I'm like, kind of just rambling on. I'm like, you know what? I should try to remember these a little bit better. So I actually wrote down little jot notes. So uh, the first one I watched, um, it's a 1925 silent film called Strike, uh, directed by uh, the great Sergei uh, Eisenstein, who's, if, if you know a little bit about him, of course, he's kind of, you know, really rev- revered in silent films and this period for a lot of Soviet films. Uh, it's a little bit of kind of agitprop too. Um, and he's kind of considered to be like the master of the montage. Like a lot of his films are really cutting edge for the time, like in terms of some of the shot uh, com- compositions and, and transitioning between different action scenes, especially the last part of this movie. This movie's kind of split into sort of five parts, chronicling a worker strike happening in in the early ninth in the early 1900s and pre-revolutionary Russia. Um, it's these workers, and the movie takes on you know it's a little bit of Soviet props, so it's taking a little very very harsh view of the, the the big fat cat capitalists who are drinking wine and the workers give them a list of their demands They're like hey is it okay if we work eight hours a day and if kids can work six hours a day and they like spill wine on the ground and the guy's like wiping his mouth with the demands and cleaning it up it's uh it's it, it's pretty raw and brutal too like the movie doesn't um um cut corners it's a really important piece of 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 cinema history and i I just want to say because i know it's probably atypical for what a lot of our audience that listens would probably watch but i want to say just uh when it comes to silent films like if you really want to kind of understand the texture of film a lot better i I would really recommend checking out silent films um if you want to learn about the confluence of of music and audio in film and you want to learn about just kind of the really fundamentals of film like crossing the line what that means and one shot two shots like check out a lot of silent films and this one is a really good one it, it holds up really well you got to put some investment of time you can't be on your phone and watching because you're going to really lose out um i, I really enjoyed it. it it holds up pretty well but it is very kind of intense to watch um and and it's a little bit sort of uh 
it's got a little bit bittersweet too uh but good movie uh i also watched a completely different movie 1992 robert zemeckis film death becomes her added to the the canon of hot women that's a who great discover, movie John. yeah add it added to the canon of hot women who discover paranormal like that and like witches of eastwick i love this film i mean i like zemeckis i know he's kind of people see him as like a c-level spielberg but i have always liked him one of my favorite movies is back to the future and this was like coming right off back to the future part three a uh, really cool film it stars three characters uh, played by um uh, meryl streep uh, goldie hahn and bruce willis uh, meryl streep's this woman uh, madeline ashton she started this like up and coming sort of uh, she's like on Broadway, a celebrity, and she has this kind of frenemy relationship with Goldie Hawn's character. And this, what sets this off is that Goldie Hawn is is engaged to Bruce Willis's character, and she kind of she's like a man eater. She kind of like not kidnapped, like she kind of just seduces him, and he marries her, and it shows how their lives kind of go in different directions. But then it's years later, and now. Um, uh, Meryl Streep's character is now aged. I love the makeup of this film. Like Meryl Streep looks like how Meryl Streep did in like 2008. So, I mean, this is 92. She's still quite, you know, uh, she's still, you know, beautiful woman. She's great in this. And like, it was cool. And then there's this whole idea plot line of her kind of learning about this kind of mysterious character, Lise uh, Von Roman, who's played by the great Isabella Rossellini. I am looking respectfully. She meets her and she gives her this potion. It's like this uh, immortal life and she takes it and kind of de-ages. The movie, it's a little bit dark comedy. It's really snarky about kind of beauty culture, especially with uh, women and celebrities and, and just kind of in that in general. And I love Bruce Willis in this. It's like pre, I mean, Bruce Willis now is truly turgid, awful movies. He just stars in like direct-to-DVD, or get direct-to-Blu-ray terrible action films that he shoots he does like 10 minutes of dialogue and that's it but there was a period of time where bruce willis was the guy and this is like kind of hearkening back to like moonlighting bruce willis of this kind of roughshod blue collar goofball and he's pretty funny in this yeah it's if you've seen wishes at wishes which is of eastwick it's very much like that again it's part of the hot women discover paranormal canon it's it's really fun really great special effects work too um some really great, great effects i had a blast pretty funny and uh yeah, I think Steve was saying it's a good one. Yeah, check check it out. It's a it's a it's a fun watch. And uh, another one I watched, um, man, great movie, awesome movie. Uh, I've been wanting to watch this one for a while. It's been on my list for uh, probably like close to two years now, a year and a half. It's uh, The Empty Man by uh, David uh, Pyron, I think, or Pyron. I should probably just double uh, double check his name. But uh, this one's kind of an interesting movie. Um, it kind of came out. Um, oh, sorry, David Pryor's his name. This one came out, I believe, around 2020, 2021. It was it was uh, it's produced. It was distributed by Fox. It was sort of around the time where Disney like purchased Fox and this movie was already filmed and made. And they kind of just sort of snuck it into streaming services. I don't know if this got a, a theatrical release. I wish it did because I certainly didn't get one in here in Ottawa. But um, my God, this is probably the best studio horror since annihilation for me like this movie was incredible i, I loved it. it it's 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 good too because it, it really is kind of derivative of a lot of like j-horror and even like a lot of french extremism if you know martyrs or movies like that i saw a lot of that in this um to, to not be too spoilery it's the story about this sort of cryptic um entity that sort of manifests itself through time and it's sort of there's this long 20 minute cold open that was really great but the kind of driving plot is this detective character who his uh, neighbor next door her daughter her daughter has sort of disappeared and wrote this cryptic the empty man is coming message on glass and it kind of begins this little bit of like a whodunit mystery of him trying to learn more and talking to people and learn more and it's there's doing it's doing so many things really great fun kind of uh it's mostly kind of lesser known cast members but really great performances ron canada plays a, a detective and great steve Root is in it. He plays this kind of cult leader. He was so fun. 
uh, really creepy movie, incredible atmosphere. For a digitally shot film, it's probably the best digitally shot horror I've seen. Um, I've been thinking about this movie ever since I've seen it. It's so, it's just so it gets under your skin. Again, if you've if you've seen Martyrs, it, you kind of know how that movie kind of starts one way and kind of really gets existential and and it's like that. And uh, I was really impressed by this movie. It's very long though. I think it's like two hours and like twenty minutes. It's an incredibly long movie, but. I cannot believe that this just kind of just got dropped. It's almost a miracle that this kind of, if this had, you know, if Fox had full, full control, if this wasn't this period of time where Disney had purchased them, it probably, this movie might've been edited or never even seen release. So it's incredible that we got this. I don't know if we're ever even going to see a movie like this in theaters again, just because I don't think you're going to see a lot of stuff like this coming out unless it's on streaming, but um, I, I loved it. And I've been thinking about it. I want to rewatch it. Um, if you love horror, if you like it, like Carpenter inspired to stuff, if you love the thing, if you love like pulse and, and uh, Juong the Grudge, and if you like Martyrs, if you like, it, the movie's almost like a pastiche of a lot of it. It's even got a little bit of like Slender Man. There's this whole kind of narrative of like viral horror and memes and how that kind of spreads. And there's a little bit of almost like Stranger Things stuff going on. It's really, this, this movie jumps around all sorts of different settings and worlds, but it still has this kind of undercurrent of like elder, evil elder gods. This movie, I love movies that kind of almost show like the personification of evil or something that lies below the surface. And yeah, this was, <laughs> I love this movie. It was great. Check it out. And uh Lastly, I watched this one. This guy recommended me to me by a friend, uh, I think like a year, a year and a half ago, uh, called Predestination. It's an action thriller starring Ethan Hawke and everyone's beloved uh, from Succession, Sarah Snook. Uh, it's about uh, this film, about this character who's a temporal time agent um, who has this horrible accident go wrong and he's scarred, but he heals up and then is now on this assignment in the year 1970, who runs into this mysterious figure played by Sarah Snook. Uh, he's talking to him and finds out that he was actually born a woman. And so we kind of get into this whole narrative and that's sort of where the movie um, develops. It's based on the uh, 1959, one of my favorite short stories by Robert Heinlein called All You Zombies. If you know that story and you know what that story is about, you'll you'll kind of know what's going to happen in this movie. But even knowing the story, even knowing what to expect, I still really enjoyed it. It was really fun, really smartly well-written. I, I think it would be kind of interesting to see someone's take for someone who hasn't um, read that story before because I think your mind would be kind of blown but I thought it was just really a smart film I love Ethan Hawke you know God Ethan Hawke and I really like Sarah Snook's character in this you know playing this sort of you know I, I wonder how this movie is going to age though because there's a lot of interest and a lot of attention now towards films that involve like transgender that a lot of you know through for many years it's been you know regular cis actors men and women who've played those roles and now there's a lot of you know people saying you know those roles should probably be played by actual trans or, or actors. So I wonder if that's going to age badly, but I, I thought it handled the subject matter uh, fairly well. Like I, I didn't think it was too, um, too bad. And I, I thought it was fair and I thought, you know, it was good performances. So yeah, check that one out. Really smart kind of, if you like Looper, like smart kind of time thrillers and that sort of thing. Uh, really, really fun movie. Um, how about yourself, Steve? What did, what did you watch? This well, realizing we're probably getting long in the tooth here, I'll try and blow through this pretty quick, but just to your point, how fabulous is Sarah Snook? Like Succession is just a fabulous series that I've oh, God, been yeah. binge watching as fast as I possibly can. She, she's um, Steve, just awesome. So, Steve, sorry, just, just before you start, but I actually have to run. I have to go and pick something up. But honestly, I just have to say it's been a pleasure having you on, man. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to having you on again and doing the uh, well, I got to do the DPO, too. But yeah, um, you're going to come on for that. That's right. You're going to be on DPO. Yeah. yeah. You're gonna get that oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm super pumped. I'm super pumped to do that. But yeah, um, I got to run. But yeah, again, it was awesome meeting you, man. And uh, love the green screen background for those who uh, aren't watching this. Uh, just listening, of course, uh, Steve has the green screen, the all the the green numbers on the black uh, black background for the, the matrix. matrix. Super cool. <laughs> but uh, yeah. OK, man. Uh, all the best. Right on, Quinn. 
And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys soon. Thanks, Quinn. Okay. Fair enough. See Take you guys. Care, buddy. Bye. No, no. So movies. Uh, so I, I had a Sunday hangover issue a couple of weeks ago <laughs> and decided that it was time to rewatch Crocodile Dundee 1 and 2. Ooh. Just to, it was, you know, the That's second the music started. The second the music started playing, it just brought me right back to watching those movies as a kid. So super fun hangover movies. I was missing mm. baseball during the lockout, decided to rewatch Moneyball. Oh, uh, always a solid film to, to go to. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street with Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Margot Robbie. Just just tremendous, tremendous movie. I'm, I'm more about uh, Netflix binge watching. So just a few names to kind of throw out there to everybody that I've been enjoying. If you've never watched Still Game, it's a uh, British comedy. I liken it to Seinfeld, but a bunch being a bunch of Scottish pensioners, um, cool. a little bit slapstick, but you fall in love with the characters and, and their relationships to each other and just the shenanigans that these these old pensioners get into in in, in Scotland. Uh, sometimes you got to put the closed captioning on because the dialect can be a little <laughs> thick, but it but even that kind of adds to the whole uh, ambiance of it and cool. tremendously enjoyable. Uh, I think this is almost what everyone right now in Western Canada is watching is Yellowstone on Amazon Prime with Kevin Costner. Just just very, very engaging and entertaining. And this is a little bit of a, of a I, I think you'd almost want to call it a cult classic, but it's not a classic, but it's a, a very different kind of a, a move a series is The Great. And then uh, on Amazon Prime, I believe it is too. But also, uh, I think they call it loosely based on fact of uh catherine the great in in russia so very uh okay. very uh humorous kind of drama comedy drama yeah just just super enjoyable I, I i'm tending to want to go to streaming things at the end of the day that just kind of let you wind down and enjoy rather than get into super intense movies so those have been my mm -hmm. picks here for the last last little while and before I completely get off, I, I just, while you guys were chatting, I did check for Werner Herzog and just realized that he was in The Mandalorian. And yeah, that's, like, yeah. Yeah, and then the second I saw his face on, on there, like, oh, yeah, it's that guy. And that voice, I mean, it's so iconic. He's been in almost everything. So that's, yeah. like, I'm not a complete neophyte to yeah, it, apparently. Yeah, like he, he's, he's, a, he's a low-key renaissance man, you know. He's been around, uh, like, everywhere, yeah. Yeah, no, well, just um, very neat. Yeah, it was really great to chat. The Matrix, like, I think we talked, we covered a lot of stuff, but I mean, we could have spent even more time. So I think, yeah, we're going to have to do, uh, whether we want to do breakdown parts or do one big marathon, we're going to have to do a dive into the sequels as well, too. So Steve, of course, thank you for coming on. Um, you know our other that podcast, Domestic Pints Only. Steve's on there a couple of times. He's been on, especially for some of our Stout Week episodes. So you can hear him on our Stout Weeks or other episodes as well, too, on our Domestic Pints Only feed. You search up on wherever you find podcasts, search up Steve's name. You'll probably find it there. And uh, otherwise, I don't have anything else to plug. I am going to be posting my favorite watches, listens, reads, what have you of 2021 soon. I know it's late. It's like March. It's like March 13th. It's terrible, but I've just been busy. You know, January 1st to like today just flew by for me. I don't know what it was. It's like, it, it still feels like 2021 wasn't all that long ago, but uh, uh, that may be time is just accelerating. Who knows? But uh, anyways, it was great chatting. Matrix, Steve, thank you so much for coming on. We're going to have to have you yeah, again in the future. Yeah, uh, that, was, that was fun to talk about with you guys. So, Yeah, Great. and thank you, Quinn's listening. I know, thank you, Quinn, for uh, coming on. I know he had to leave a bit early. Appreciate him being on. Uh, next week, folks, I think next week we're probably going to be getting back to our John Carpenter series. So we're going to be talking the classic, I believe it's 1983, the Stephen King adaptation, uh, Christine. And we're also going to be doing uh, the next uh, – 
John Carpenter movie Starman as well, too. I don't know if we're going to do it back to back or or we're going to have to figure out our lineups and all that, but that's coming soon. Um, this isn't confirmed yet. We're still kind of planning things out, but we're thinking in April that we're going to be doing a uh, Shakespeare month. So we're going to be doing four Shakespeare adaptations or direct sort of movies as well, too. So we have got we're going to be having guests and stuff coming up. So stay tuned for that. Otherwise, uh, folks, we'll see you soon um uh stay tuned uh you know and uh if you see any guys in suits chasing you uh answer the phone and you'll be safe so take care folks we'll see you again soon matrix has you john <laughs>